some of those who follow us may know that I am involved in a friendly critical debate from time to time with uh, Dwayne Roussel from Canada, who now found himself in exile. He had to escape from Russia in one of those Azerbaijan, I think, crazy republics or Kazakhstan. And uh, he wrote a critical review, which is very nicely written. And it concerns, that's why I'm mentioning it, basic Lacanian notions of what is going on today. And I will try to make some counter argument. It's not about directly war in Ukraine. It is about what is going on today. I mean, in our global world, how this world is structured. Because the interesting thing is that some Lacanians uh, with Jacqueline Miller on the top moved into a direction which was already indicated half a century ago by Deleuze, this idea of a post-Edipal universe uh, and so on. They gave it a paranoiac twist, these Lacanians. Uh, the main notion is generalized foreclosure which means we no longer live in a world where we have conflicts, debates, even wars, but within a shared symbolic space, that it's simply we are all uh, singularities. Singularities in the sense that I don't, me as a social entity, a state, a nation, we don't really communicate we just project onto the other what we foreclose, not just repress from our universe. So uh, uh, we live as islands of jouissance, and we no longer even need truth is out of the game doesn't function, even meaningful symbolic fictions don't work. It's just we, again, not repress, but foreclose what we feel as a threat. And then this foreclosed, since we are in a psychotic universe where symbolic castration is inoperative, where lack itself is lacking, this then returns with the vengeance in the real as the paranoiac projection of our enemy. My, uh, uh, okay, uh, may, may I make a short quote? Because yes. it, uh, it, it describes nicely Roussel's position. We are now in an era of foreclosure. So that traditional notions of political uprising, civil wars and revolutions, insofar as they operate within a shared social world, seem increasingly impotent. In a time of total war, an era that I elsewhere refer to as the era of singularities, civil war and political revolutions are impossible. 
The idea is that if you have dissidents, protesters, and so on, it is still the situation of repression, return of the repressed, where you share some kind of social space and then you have conflicts, but within a shared social space. But that today, there is no longer this shared social space. And a quote from Roussel, the real, this is late Miller at its purest, the real is lawless. It relates to a mode of jouissance outside of any scope of truth or meaningful fiction. I think the mistake is here something that Miller was slowly approaching for decades when first anti-Oedipus and then feminism and so on emerged. His first reaction was they don't get it. They think patriarchy in a vulgar way, imaginary identification, father, they don't know what the name of the father symbolic law is. Then all of a sudden, when he saw that this doesn't function, he turned his position around into the other extreme. He is now, in some sense, more Deleuzean than Deleuze ever dared to be. No, no social link, just modes of... Uh, uh, jouissance of enjoyment and the only relation within them are wars. So can I can I jump yes. in quickly? Yes. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Do you think that do you think that Lacan himself in a way paves the way for this when he himself moves from paternal metaphor to santome? Like isn't a santome and it's interesting because you have evoked santome in your own thought, I think, yes. as a, an important idea. But I almost think that once you make that move to the Santom, you have confessed that all we are are islands of jouissance and the paternal metaphor no longer holds up, bonds us together, right? I mean, isn't that already in Seminar 23, isn't there already that, that misstep? Retroactively. Now, it wasn't clear to me, but retroactively now, I tend to agree with you, Todd. Because I think, I think that... Uh, uh, Lacan in the last years was in, experimenting all the time. Okay, I'll put it like this. This is my classical position. Seminar 20 and one or two earlier, one or two later, are his final consistent position. But there he gets into a deadlock. Mm. And then he is trying for ways out. That's why, to confirm new thought, I think that in contrast to Lacan's earlier big literary interpretations, Antigone, Hamlet, uh, Claudel, Cufontaine uh, uh, trilogy, and so on, I never liked his uh, uh, Joyce, right. the symptom. I think it's a failure basically ignores, it is like ignores the detailed texture of Joyce. I think it's a little bit like what I do often. <laughs> I usually literally work or whatever, 
but clearly just as a pretext to deploy certain categories. And even here, Lacan oscillates, you know how to, to confirm you. Uh, you mentioned when we were in conversation before going public, this paradox of Miller going in theory in an ultra-radical dimension. We are islands of jouissance, uh, no communication, post blah, 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 post-patriarchal. But the social implication of this is not some crazy, radical, I don't know, anarchist theory, you know. But on the contrary, a move towards not even liberal centuries, but I would have put it moderate, moderately conservative position a fear of any change, uh, and so on. So, uh, and isn't it also, isn't so, it also, just to return, so yes, yeah. so I think all this, after seminar 20, 21, 22, all these later attempts are, of Lacan, are for me attempts to resolve a certain deadlock, which, as Lacan openly admitted, at the very end, it's a tragic text, you know. His last seminar is like, he came there, 500 people in the hall, and he talked for one minute, and he left, <laughs> and that was it. And the very last one, or one before, of his public appearances was simply the admission of a failure. So, you know why this is important? I've written, I forgot where about this, how wrong, not only of Lacan, but of other thinkers, this idea is that they, they were approaching some final point where they finally saw the light. That's it. And I have nothing against her. She he, is not stupid. You know, Catherine Millot, yeah. not Millet, not that group sex lady, but <laughs> Catherine Millot, Lacan's last official mistress. You know that I remember I was there. After Lacan died, her status was elevated into a kind of a mystical level. She knows the truth because the idea it was a wonderful myth. I also like almost liked it. The idea was that when Lacan was dying, she was with him and he whispered to her some final theoretical mystery. And I am more and more opposed to this idea that at the end there is the final enlightenment truth. You know how badly it ended with Louis Altiche. Right. In Lirle Capital, he put the epistemological cap into German ideology, then he postponed it, postponed it then towards the end, he found one passage in a letter by Marx on a German economist, he criticized Adolf Wagner, I think. And Althusser, it's quite tragically, you know, claims that only that in one sentence, Marx really saw it and so on. So I think it's not simply that at the end you approach the light. No, right. I, I mean, think already, yeah, sorry. I yeah. would just say, yeah, like I think that to me, I, 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 this is something I've been thinking about. Like, it seems like se in seminar 16, from another to the other, right, where he comes up with this notion of surplus jouissance for the first, plus de jouir, yeah. for the first time, yeah. right? 
And then it's like he's on the edge of thinking about capitalism differently, like writing his own different theory of capital, like writing his own version of capital almost. And then and then he breaks it off in 16 and then 17 comes up with the four discourses and it, it, it completely he abandons basically the plus de jouir and sticks it in a different discourse. But I think he he doesn't really I think that to me, that's the decisive point where he could have gone in this one I, 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 I think there are even more such points, but I tend to agree with you that this is the big man. You know why? Because uh, now I will say something terribly naive, but I think it's basically true. Uh, I think that there is an unresolved problem with Lacan. The four discourses, are they just a totally ahistorical matrix, uh, valuable for all times, blah, 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 or is there a certain historicity in them? Like pre-modern societies, master's discourse, then modernity in its two aspects, hysteria and uh, university discourse, and then, uh, now it's a big question, can we politicize the analytic discourse? But basically, uh, if we read capitalist discourse, not as simply a fifth discourse or which of the, but as precisely uh, uh, branded by this tension between hysteria, that's everyday capitalist, hysteria, always more surplus, surplus. University is the power structure described by Foucault and so on. And Lacan somehow saw this tension in capitalism. You have this incessant surplus. At the same time, you have the logic of university style of domination. And then at a certain point, Lacan saw that he cannot simply squeeze what you thought pointed out correctly, the entire topic of surplus enjoyment and so on. He cannot squeeze it simply into four discourses. There is something more radical going on here, because obviously, as you Thought pointed out in your book about capitalist desire or whatever that bullshit is <laughs> title that that uh, uh, capitalism in some sense a structure of surplus desire which is all the time here comes out at such only with capitalism so uh, uh, in some sense Lacan ended here at the deadlock, which is why also people don't notice this, how Lacan oscillates also between different political positions. Sometimes, sometimes he sounds like a liberal. That was then Miller's reading. Tolerate others' jurisons, blah, blah, against any totalitarian. Sometimes he even sounds a little bit conservative. This is also an aspect taken over by Miller, where he says, it's this cynical conservatism. You know, it's, we know it's all a fake, 
But we know it's a, a symbolic fiction, but if you disturb the fiction too much, there is violence, there is riot, and so on and so on. So this kind of conservative cynicism with some hints about post possible post-capitalist modes, mm -hmm. but there Lacan again then has this tendency to offer a solution, which I don't think it works. Like, remember his mysterious uh, uh, hint that a saint is, yeah. saint is the outside capitalist discourse. I, I, I know what he wants to say, but I doubt if, if anything, I almost tempted to say, the capitalist itself, at its purest, already is a saint. Right. Somebody who right, like they give up, they give up yeah. their lives for capital, right? Like that. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. That's right. yeah. That's right. So uh, yeah. we should. The first thing, gesture. I hope we all agree here. To be really a Lacanian today is not to search for a last secret mystery in late Lacan, because. These readers, now I'll be really evil. Who is this irony in this, of course? One of the greatest writers today, uh, much higher than Joyce and Kafka, Dan Brown. <laughs> <laughs> in his work, they always look for some uh, last symbol, mystery, hidden manuscript. So I would accuse Miller and all those guys like kind of a uh, making another Da Vinci code out of Lacan, you know. Oh, oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Please, yeah. now, you, we totally overshadowed you. Which oh, no. Is, <laughs> no. Nonetheless, no, it's, it's related. It's, it's related to what we were talking about, because, you know, we're talking about the later Lacan seminars. And I mean, maybe we can go back to politics and jouissance later, because I think that that's today. That's I mean, it's been this way for a long time, but especially today. Lacan's theory of jouissance is, uh, is indispensable to any sort of political ideological analysis. But yes. um, I'm thinking along the lines of this, I, I'm still, <laughs> I still have the image of like, you know, somebody leaning in and Lacan's going to say Rosebud at the, mm -hmm. at the last, at the last <laughs> minute, he's going to, yeah, it's going to be some sort of citizen yeah, yeah, Kane thing. Rosebud. Yeah. 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 But the way in which, and I think that this is, this is true more of a certain type of like, clinical or clinician approach to, to, to Lacan that where the text itself is treated as, as um, sort of, you know, a sacred font of, of wisdom. And I just was, was thinking about seminar 20 and the directions in which Lacan went. And now I'm thinking about sex and gender and the, you know, the formulas of sexuation in, mm. in seminar 20 and how I've noticed that there's, I mean, this is, not just, I think it's particularly, you know, among sort of malarians, but um, the insistence on maintaining uh, the notion of sex uh, as though, you know, masculine and feminine are some sort of essential quality, as opposed to, I think that what, you know, you and in the Sex in the Failed Absolute book, Alenka in her book, What is Sex, um, kind of rescue i guess my i guess the question is to what degree 
is this already in Lacan or to what degree are, is like, you know, you, the Ljubljana school more general teasing this out where sex is according to your, like sex is, is the fundamental cut. And then gender is, is a second order. It's an, it's a symbolic way of trying to deal with that cut. That is the real. And so you've been, you know, Slava, you, you've said for a long time now, right? Like, there isn't really a mass. Is there really a masculine subject position? Masculinity as, as such is a fake. The, the, the pure subject position is femininity. And so I'm wondering, you know, is that a to go back to how Lacan treats that in 20? Do we have to update Lacan for like in order to sort of save it from a sort of essentialism with regard to, you know, gender or sex? Or is is that the only proper way to, to read to read Lacan? It's like it's there. We just we have to read him this way. Before Slava, before you answer, can I can I just want to add to the question? I just want to add to the question because yeah. I, I was I was talking to Guy Lagofe, who I think is a really smart guy. Uh, Guy Lagofe, Guy Lagofe, oh, yeah, 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 really smart guy. What is he doing now? For years, I haven't heard. Did he publish yeah, something? Yeah, he's still publishing books. They don't get translated, but he's still publishing books in French. Yeah. And they're, he's very good, I think. And, and he speaks English. He's he speaks English. His English is very good. For some reason, no one invites him here. But it, but he he he's really, I guess, because his books haven't appeared in English. But his English is fine. Uh, and he, it's great. It's better than mine. But his, he said to me, he said that he thought that you know, he he wrote a book on Le Patu de Lacan, so he's very invested yeah, in seminars, yeah. right? But he thinks that by making it, by tying uh, the formulas to sexuation, that Lacan, in a way, falls for, you know, that line by Ernest Jones, it, it, God did make them man and woman, that he thinks that by, and he thinks the notion of feminine jouissance is already going over to mysticism and and uh, now you touched something absolutely crucial. Okay. Uh, I didn't succeed in convincing many people, but I saw there in Lacan, you may know this, the big conflict between my reading and up to a point objects of formulas of sexuation and the predominant one is that the Predominant reading does precisely what you critically pointed at, Todd, now. They uh, not so much essentialize as elevate jouissance feminine in some untouchable beyond you, 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 yeah. you enjoy, but you cannot even name it. It's outside symbolic. Well, I took uh, formulas of jouissance much more literally and claim, no, it's anything, woman is more totally in the symbolic order. There is nothing which is outside. And that's why you get to the non-all. And my ultimate example is Lacan's uh, great uh, case that uh, uh, Saint Teresa. Uh, it's not just that statue on the cover of, your, of uh, Seminar 20, but you know that she was writing like crazy. If there ever was a writer who, she is not after some uh, mystical experience where you, I think that precisely this idea of femininity as some elusive point of a mystical real, which always eludes uh, elude the symbolic grasp and so on, is, is, is precisely 
maybe even I would say male fantasy. Of right. I, I think that's right. I mean, it's the worst kind of anti-feminism. And I, I would also say the only thing I would say is I think Lacan himself is ambiguous, ambiguous about this. Right. Like, cause I, that's my point. Okay. He, on the one hand, he insists that these are, he insists that the feminine non-all means precisely no exception. There is nothing which is outside the phallic dimension. So as it were, you undermine phallic logic from within by universalizing it. Universalizing in the sense of precisely no exception, but I agree with you that at some point Lacan already as if I think he didn't think things to the end. Yeah. You already have this mystical tendency of, you know. But remember that this was, and I think it's theoretically a fake, a tendency in Lacan, even from his early days, and here I don't like Lacan who celebrates uh, his uh, his uh, his uh, his uh, uh, standing up against philosophy, like I stand up against philosophy. Don't you remember? It's usually not often commented. His first big agree function of mm. the word blah blah blah. His so-called Rome manifesto, Rome discourse, ends up with some stupid quote from some early Buddhism or whatever, the last words of wisdom, he refers to this positively, you know, as there is some last mystical insight. And I think this is the worst operation possible. Instead of admitting failure, you you construct some mystical point of reference which we cannot even approach it, but it's there. You have a couple of references like this in Lacan, like at some other point, is it in Encore or somewhere else? Lacan even says that, that, uh, that mystical texts are the best that there is. Yeah, that's course, similar. That's the like this, right. Yeah, in his arrogant way, he says, but you, but, and also agree the Lacan, and also his <laughs> Without this, I, uh, I think, again, this, this way of how he wants to get over philosophy, that, you know, we philosophers want to conceptualize everything, but there is some mystical, elusive point, and so on, again, this is the worst of Lacan, you know, also in what sense? Did you notice how Lacan often, I'm tempted, but I'm getting old and senile, I would have to go through it. I noticed how Lacan often, like, is not Lacanian enough. He gives an example, but then he fails to draw the ultimate Lacanian conclusion from it. I think something like this happened uh, in uh, when he tried to deal with uh, uh, surplus solutions in connecting it to, to uh, surplus value. Yeah. You know, he failed, not in the sense of there was a dimension there which uh, eluded him. No, 
he missed the Lacanian dimension of it. And if I may amuse our readers and you briefly, you know, when I first noticed these failures of Lacan, already, which is the seminar is it for, I think, formations of the art, where he talks a lot five. about jokes. Five. five. About jokes. Yes, five. He, mm-hmm. I mentioned this in one of my books. I hope readers don't know it. He, of course, quotes there that classical Jewish joke of, a, how do you call it? The guy who tries to sell you a bright matchmaker <laughs> or what. Yeah. And you know, the, uh, for every bad feature, he finds an excuse. Like, I don't know, I don't know, uh, 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 she is ugly. Oh, at least you will not have to worry that she will uh, that she will uh, uh, she will uh, deceive you. Blah blah blah. And uh, Lacan then writes, "I couldn't believe. I was like Tom or Jerry in the cartoon when they see something wrong, the eyes jump out and yes, <laughs> I couldn't believe it that Lacan just says, oh, and so and so on indefinitely. No, it's not indefinitely." Right. The whole point of a joke is that at a certain point, you arrive at a feature which this matchmaker or whatever mediator cannot explain away, and then he says, what do we want her to be perfect? (laughs) And I was just shocked that literally, again, Lacan doesn't get the Lacanian point of the story. So that's why I look at Lacan as an author who is much more inconsistent, uh, trying new possibilities. It's also what I tried to develop. I forgot in which of my books, uh, uh, how uh, the game Lacan plays with his seminars and écrit. As he emphasizes, this is what I like in Lacan. In seminars, he is not teaching. He is himself analyzing. He is improvising its theoretical free associations. In Ecree, he is then an analyst giving formulas, but, uh, and that's his whole game. These formulas, Miller once decades ago explained this nicely to us. Lacan gives these formulas with the hope that we, his careful readers, will discern the meaning of these formulas. That he himself doesn't know. Yeah, he himself doesn't know. Yes, that's crucial. His agree are not just read. No, literally, we have to work out the meaning. And again, Lacan doesn't know. This is absolutely crucial. Yeah, I think Lacan very nicely in this very duality of seminars and écrit undermines the temptation which is great in him to play very ruthlessly the role of a master, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, my, my reading of the four discourses is that he's trying to disavow his own mastery i mean that's just that's my i mean that's what i mean i think he creates this he carves out this space of the endless <laughs> discourse where 
he can do what he does without being a master. And I think that's a problem. But I want to, here's what I want to ask you. Like, do, do you think, I wonder if you would accept this, that there's a, there's like, it's almost like there's a struggle between Kant and Hegel for Lacan's soul. And at the, when he becomes, when he gives into the mysticism, he's the Kantian, we can't, there's a thing beyond what we can yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, there's this yeah, Hegelian yeah. other side where he's being a dialectical. And we see this at its purest with how Lacan deals with femininity. Yes. You have the Kantian notion, femininity is the thing, the thing in itself. And it's the Hegelian notion, no, femininity is the very inconsistency, contradiction, all that bullshit and so on. Yeah. You know, that's why, again, another point. I think that we don't have time now to develop it fully. I think that Lacan's move from Antigone to Senior de Cuffontaine is precisely, in my view, I exaggerate a little bit, a move from Kant to Hegel. Yeah. His yeah. reading of Antigone is that you have these moments of approaching the real, but it's too strong, it burns you. You know, this idea of encountering the real as a transgressive experience, entering some mysterious domain between the two deaths and so on and so on. In other words, Antigone is still sublime in this sense. An ordinary city being lady, Elevated to the dignity of the thing and a so Kantian sublime, right? Not a Hegelian, a Kantian sublime, Kantian. not a Hegelian. Sublime. De Cuffontaine is definitely not sublime, right? It's really this when the moment when sublime turns into a piece of shit, it's much more authentic, uh, tragic, and so on. And can I finish? Uh, yeah, yeah, if you or some readers saw the movies. And in this way, I will also confess to you the breathtaking depths of my taste. Namely, one movie, I will just mention it. Because if I talk about it, you will immediately cut the connection and send me a message. Nice to meet you. Maybe in the next decade or two, we meet again. I didn't like the movie. But somehow I almost like the idea of trigger warning. It's really low. Roland Emmerich, <laughs> Moonfall. Oh. You know, this idea that the moon is an artificial object. It's not natural. There is machinery. But what I wanted to say is that a more correct theory, there I'm nonetheless tempted to distinguish in an almost old-fashioned position, masculine feminine stance is did you see the two movies it's already important one is documentary the other is uh, fiction which are both both based on a real case it's easy to get them on youtube whatever uh, the may masculine one is tinder swindler documentary and no here in europe it's a legend of an Israeli guy who cheated women, claiming, uh, like, uh, exploiting them, claiming he's mega rich, just his credit card doesn't work, stealing money from one, moving to the next one. But it's simple cheating. Yeah. Then another one, 
I was fascinated by it. Inventing Anna. It's a fiction also based on a real case about a woman who was doing something similar. She appeared from nowhere in New York, claiming that she has a father who is a billionaire, but has a small conflict with him and borrowed money, blah, blah. But she wasn't simply cheating. She was so deeply in her cheating that it was sincere. She was ready to risk everything. That's why she was a true hero. Like Even when she was caught red-handed, she never admitted defeat. She got so identified with her fake that here I'm tempted to say it's important that she is a woman and he, the ordinary cheat, because he, the Jewish guy, he simply cheats and he is a manipulator. He has a secret ego where he pulls blah, blah. But she doesn't cheat in this sense. She cheats because she herself falls for her false image, no? And so, okay. I so I wonder, can I, Slavoj, do you think that, I mean, in a way, this kind of brings it back to what you were, you talked about the Dwayne Russell, you know, his, the, the notion of the islands of jouissance, like in a way, like, aren't you talking about an effective symbolic fiction that's still functioning today, right? Like that, like that's the Absolutely. point of that. I think that's the point of that film, right? Yeah. Now, look, you know where, okay, let's now go maybe quickly to Ukraine. No? Yeah. Uh, uh, where do I see in today's crazy world still symbolic fictions, even the dimension of truth and so on and so on? One of the lines of attack, very nice, intelligent, of Duane Roussel is that he opposes my reading of the greatest American philosopher of his time, now he's dead, Donald Rumsfeld. You know, my notion of uh, uh, unknown knowns. Right. Yep. And predictably, Roussel says, this is still the notion of repression, not yet foreclosure. You have a tension, you have an unconscious, you don't know what you know. And then he said, I misread Rumsfeld. It's not that in his dealing with weapons of mass destruction, it's not that uh, Rumsfeld uh, uh, was determined by uh, uh, unknown knowns. No, that Rumsfeld was in a psychotic way fully identified with what he thought that he knew, with known knowns. That that was his psychosis foreclosing, excluding every reality, he sincerely thought there are weapons of mass destruction there. To this, we don't have time to go on too much. Yeah. I would say that I still stick to my interpretation. Uh, uh, not only uh, not only was Rumsfeld and generally Bush administration not only were they not really sure if Saddam has them, I think they positively knew that Saddam does not have them. And uh, you know why? Because I read wonderful analysis, not leftist stuff, even centrist, rightist stuff. If they were to be really sure 
that Saddam has weapons of mass destruction, nuclear or some really poisonous gases, they wouldn't attack Iraq the way they did. That's right. That's why we don't yeah. attack North Korea right now, right? Like that's yeah. yeah. And, but yeah, because they have them. Yeah, yeah they but, have it. Right. Yeah. 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 But yeah. another thing, I think uh, that I already uh, that weapons of mass destruction. I gave a Hitchcockian reading somewhere now in a not yet published text where uh, where uh, where uh, Donald Rumsfeld's MacGuffin. You know something. You know it's a pretext. Yeah. You needed it. No. And uh, and I think now in Ukraine war, we again have a MacGuffin, which is this mysterious Ukrainian funded by, you say, secret bioweapon labs. Right. Right. They are now officially evoked. A couple of days ago, even Putin mentioned them when the obvious question uh, was uh, was uh, was uh, he was asked it? I think somewhere like by persons who were not even uh, uh, not even uh, again uh, against Russia. They even said, "Okay, we would have understood if you, apart from Crimea, island, half island, whatever, if you were to occupy only the Donbas region." Lugetsk or whatever, I don't know. That part where really the majority are Russians. But why occupy all of Ukraine? Okay, the first official story was uh, because they are neo-Nazi drug addicts, you know. <laughs> but now he came out with a crazy story that because precisely in the west of Ukraine, around Lvov, Lviv and so on, there are these secret labs which pose a threat and so on and so on. And again, like with Iraqi weapons of mass destruction, I claim that uh, Russians know, not only they are not sure, not only are they bluffing, they know this is not true. Because if it were true, they would probably act in a totally different way. What I would have done is locate the places and simply, uh, I don't know, with special paratrooper units, like treat it as a major danger. They are not, they are not doing this. Yeah. And you see, this proves that MacGuffin or object A, cause blah, blah, this is a symbolic category. This is not psychotic category. Another thing, if I may just go on briefly, sure. which sure. I love, love in a sad way, is that, you know that I have friends there, for me it's very personal, in Russia, the true heroes of this story are also Russians who losing their job, beaten by the police and so on. Who They're going dare... to jail, right? They're going Sorry? to jail. They're going to jail. Yeah. yeah, but not just, and your life is ruined afterwards. Right. You are designated, they have the official title now for this, foreign agent. This doesn't mean you are necessarily arrested. It means you are forever excluded from any public space which is mediated by state, like no university, no public appearances. But what I want to say is that uh, the way the struggle goes on in Russia 
it's not a psychotic uh, foreclosure, exclusion. It's a very nice dialectical struggle. Uh, you know, uh, for example, this is for me very Lacanian. What is the freedom of language? That you mediate statements with their unspoken background in such a way that a thing can mean almost everything. The absence of a thing means, like, did you notice there were millions of views on, I mean, Putin must be a little bit like those American uh, racists who are furious when the police kills a black guy. There is always some stupid other black guy with the iPhone who records it, you know. Unfortunately, in Russia, it's the same. So did you notice that because two words are now prohibited, you are not allowed to say no to war. In Russian, it's net vaine. It's no to war. In Russian, there are two words. So if you have this on a piece of paper, you get arrested. Yeah. But you know, did you see it on YouTube news? What happened? A certain old lady demonstrated with the paper. You know what was written on it? Two words. Not not two words, but literally two words. <laughs> and she was still arrested. She was still arrested. Yeah, as if, you know, then probably she said, but wait a minute. What if these two words were, I don't know. Uh, love Putin or what? Right. No, no, no. Said, we all know what these two words are. And then this went to the Hegel, Hegelian, Lacanian extreme. You can see video clips where, where a lady uh, has a paper on which you know what it is. Nothing. No, nothing, right, right. Nothing. She was still arrested. Sure. <laughs> and she said, okay, sorry. Well, no, no. We knew what you wanted to say. Which right. is the but you know what I want to say? That the absence it's of the not, words can be the words, right? Like that's symbolic efficiency. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is not, this is symbolic efficiency. At, this is symbolic efficiency at its, uh, at its purest. This is not, another thing where we have pure symbolic strategy. Do you remember? how uh, uh, this joke, which is now very actual, that we all know it, I'm sorry, old Freud's joke, not Freud's, Jewish joke about this lying in the guise of truth. You know, a friend telling, telling his friend, uh, why are you telling me that you go to Elvov and not to Krakow? when you are really going to Elmov, you know. <laughs> but this is what Putin was doing. He was, the irony is today, Elmov, Lviv, is the Western capital of Ukraine, is really the target. So our, but you know, Putin had very nice, intelligent, symbolic strategy. He was telling all the time that he plans military intervention in, into Ukraine. Right. But I know, I spoke with politicians here in Germany, I'm in contact, and even two, three days before the intervention, you know that they all repeated to me the same story. 
Don't be in panic. Putin is not crazy. This is just, you know, he's lying to us. I, I know. I, I, it's interesting. But no, he was, he duped us. We were thinking for some strategic discourse. No, he deceived us by telling the truth all the time. And again, this is for Lacan. Lying in the guise of truth is uh, it's exactly it's the ultimate it's the ultimate symbolic symbolic strategy. strategy the last right. one, then I will finish. I yeah. take a note on I like it that Dwayne Roussel's final notion is that again, this is just paranoiac projection put Putin and uh, and uh, uh, Biden. Uh, projecting into another their own fears, blah, blah, blah. No, I think it's what is going on now and what went on already with American weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. It's more an example of what already the early Lacan uh, uh, defines as uh, symbolic communication, where you get from the other your own message in its inverted, that is to say, true form. Didn't this happen to the United States in Iraq? Yeah. They went there to save civilization, help women, secularize Iraq. The result is now Iraq is under greater influence of Iran than ever. Fundamentalism is much stronger than under Saddam. Women are much more oppressed and so on. They got their message back. And this is really tragically. Friends who don't want to hate Russians, I have connections in Kiev and elsewhere, uh, are telling me. You know what was Russian justification? That we are really not a different nation, we are part of the same ethnic group, blah, blah, blah. But, and friends are telling me, in spite of all tensions, it was true till... Um, uh, Till, uh, a couple of months ago. Like, it was incredible. A Slovene journalist told me, he was a couple of months ago in Kiev, he went to some cafeterias. People there, it was like two dialects. You spoke with a friend in Ukrainian, then another comes, you shifted to Russian. At the everyday level, for large majority of people, now, as the result of the Russian intervention, they really hate Ukrainians. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's interesting. They like produce the situation they wanted to avoid. That's yeah. right, that they want to avoid. I mean, it's interesting because Zelensky is a Russian native speaker, right? Like, so, so yeah, I mean, your point is exactly right. And I, I, I wonder, I wonder what you think about the fact that the you, like, you're right, totally, that, that all throughout the world, everyone thought Putin was bluffing, except the CIA, right? Like, Biden... For, for weeks before the invasion is like, they're really going to invade, they're really going to invade. And so yeah, I, think, I think here, maybe, I think really Zelensky, it's not just this demagoguery and so on. He, because Zelensky also knew it. But yeah. do you remember that days before, he warned Americans, Doc, don't talk too much about certainty of invasion, because this automatically raises temperature and so on. On the other hand, now the two of you will for sure uh, uh, cut all links with me. I want to say another thing, that uh, 
oh my God, what will my leftist friends do? Uh, you know, some leftists are claiming there were, that's disgusting, I broke with a couple of friendships here. They were not close friendships, but likely they claim both sides are guilty, United States and NATO a little bit more because blah, blah, blah. No, no. If anything, don't you remember uh, 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 Biden was almost, he talked too much. First, this uh, information that there is, uh, that there will be an invasion, he should precisely not talk about it, but mobilize all the diplomatic and secret. Another thing, I was here more of a hard liner, but it was a correct position, but you shouldn't tell it publicly. You remember he said a day or two before the war, he said, let's see what kind of invasion will it be. If it will be a smaller invasion, lower sanction, a total occupation, and media went crazy. So I... It, I think it was a correct politics to discipline Russia, avoid, but he shouldn't said it publicly. Yeah, I, what I, this I, proves, sorry, Jody, what this proves is that I think Biden is here in some sense almost a rational guy. He, he tries to balance helping Ukraine while nonetheless avoiding a new total world war. Or right. I, I think that so it's absolutely not true that Biden is pushing for a total conflict and so yeah. on. And right. I think you're right. He's heroically, I think, I, I mean, I should maybe say, I think heroically trying to like make this balance between those two horrible, yeah. right. Like, I don't know what he would, but I think, I wonder what you think about this. Like, I was thinking you were going to say that his, I wondered if you would say this, that his, his announcing that the invasion was coming was his attempt to make it not happen, right? Like he was already, yeah, yeah that, that, that's what, yeah. I mean, I didn't, it didn't work, obviously, but I think that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to say, I'm going to not announce it into being, I'm going to announce it, it into not being. Because you know what I almost like about how direct lying of Putin and Russians, even a day or two before, they said, no, this is false war propaganda, we don't want to invade. <laughs> But then, in a way, they kept their word because, you know what's their solution? We didn't invade Ukraine because Ukraine doesn't exist, really. Right. <laughs> it does, no? No, so what I'm saying is that uh, 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 what is for certain not true is that United States are here pushing towards a total conflict. No, I think even the best probable, you never know, explanation of what's happening is that uh, Putin read the wrong lesson from Afghanistan fiasco. And he thought, you see, the West is weak. Yeah. I can do it. But again, a nice example of successful communication, he got the message back now. Right. All European countries now want to enter NATO, even countries which always avoided it, like the great Northern Troika, Finland, uh, Sweden, Norway. You know, you never know uh, what to do. There is one hope. People talk about it last days. You remember 
Putin said two, three days after the war, beginning of invasion, he made an appeal to Ukrainian army. Why don't you depose the leadership and take over? It will be much easier to talk to you. I think we should now tell this to the Russians. Right, you know. right, right. I, I always think like, believe in a possible progressive role of an army, of, yeah. of the army. Right, it yeah. can, because you know, soldiers, secret policemen, they are not all idiots, especially in authoritarian countries. Secret police, uh, if these secret intelligence agencies, yes, they manipulate lie. But at the same time, they know the truth. They know the real situation. This is why it's very interesting. All the big reforms in Soviet Union came, for example, Beria. Beria. I was just thinking of Beria. And he he was secret police, but he knew the truth. And again, it was the same with Gorbachev. Gorbachev was promoted by Andropov, who was secret police, KGB. KGB. before. No? So my solution is, it's a crazy one. If you want peace, support army and secret police. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's a good idea. We are again oppressing you. Say say Rosebud at least. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was actually thinking about, because what I'm starting to see in the U.S., I'm not sure what it's like in Europe. I'm sure that this is the case, though, where um, the COVID conspiracies are starting to merge with, you know, Russia-Ukraine conspiracies. And uh, I'm just wondering about, because I've actually, one of the, I guess one of the the saddest things uh, about uh, to come, to, to actually happen within the past, like, two years um, yeah. is that the sort of contingent of of Lacanians who, um, and you mentioned this earlier, Slavoj, in a different context, but yeah. um, this sort of paranoiac um, direction yeah. in which certain amount of you know, Lacanian thought has gone um, around uh, COVID, and on COVID, yeah, on yeah, on COVID in particular, um, and just what it is. I mean, is it? I'm almost tempted to say like it's kind of related to the sort of mystical moments in 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 Lacan, but um, you know you you wrote a piece about um, five or six months ago. I know Alenka has has something on on conspiracy theories too, but it's so funny. It's a very good reading of "Don't Look Up." Yeah, 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 yeah. But it just strikes me, you know. As a Lacanian that, and I told you this, and I think that was the name of the piece that you gave it, but like the principle of, you know, le nom du père was entirely, you know, forgotten. And I think that that's, um, it's related to this, I think in a way to this, you know, Roussel's claim that you were sort of misreading uh, Rumsfeld and the unknown, you know, the known unknowns. But yeah, I guess, so I guess that's just more of 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 a remark, like what, what to make of the direction in which Lacanians, certain Lacanians have gone uh, in this sort of paranoiac conspiracy theory, um, you know, route. Yeah, but, but the horrible thing is this one, that they don't, now I will sound like an old progressive socialist communist, they, in this perverted theoretical enjoyment, they just 
like to prove how everything went wrong. We are in paranoia, and the solution they offer is just utter cynicism. We have to keep the appearances of paranoia even, just don't take them too seriously, you know. But you know, if I may say for conclusion something, sorry, one really important point. To me, this is the crucial. I don't know how it is in the States, but uh, the right-wingers in Europe, those who for the first week or two of the war were almost pro-Russian. You know what your greatest president, Trump, said. Putin is a genius, intelligent move, blah, blah, all that. Who had a great sympathy for it. Then, all of a sudden, like in Europe, Marine Le Pen, Salvini in Italy, and so on, open up to refugees, change their line only to Ukrainian refugees, not to dirty Palestinian or those who are, they're racist. I mean, the right wing, they don't want them. But uh, the whole, I don't know, uh, that's what I wanted to ask both of you, if it's happening also with you there. Something so utterly depressive and said, uh, now that the right-wingers became anti-Putin, they, they have a certain... Alenka also has this line of thought. We will vote for him. They have a certain military joy now, which is directly, uh, directly, which is directly targeting uh, LGBT, uh, sexual oppression, uh, 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 global warming, whatever. Their vision is this one. Now reality is here. Forget about all those bullshitting pseudo-problems, uh, global warming, uh, feminism, political correctness, which terms to use. Now we have a conflict. It's the moment of truth. Right. And they immediately give to it uh, sexualized meaning in the most traditional sense. They like to emphasize how, in uh, in contrast to corrupted <laughs> Arabs from Syria and so on, that here, those who escape to the West, Poland and so on, are mostly women and children, while men even return to Ukraine to fight. And they say, here you have your answer to transgender and so on. It's pure, good, old-fashioned, normal sexual difference. Women are, are, there, are at that place taking care of children. Men are at their proper place fighting. They really feel it like a liberation. Finally, this war will... And this is, I think, something very tragic. That's why I repeat all the time, no, this war is not the moment of truth. It's the moment of... As Alain, but you would have put it the greatest disorientation in this sense. You know, it's uh, very tragic how not only COVID practically disappeared, but you know, I have contacts. Then I conclude. I hope it will amuse you if I add this. I have a contact with some friendly, we still have contacts, conspiracy theorists, and now they have a whole theory. They claim. It began with global warming. This is for them conspiracy theory, you know. Then we have COVID. Now that COVID diluted and people were tired of global warming, 
day. And some of them go even so far as to say, this is not a serious war, it's all arranged between Putin and big corporate capital. Now there is war. And then, I like this, they claim there already is a next step. Guess which one? Aliens. <laughs> they claim, you know, of course. In newspapers, there was a notice that we are getting regularly, every 18 minutes, some signal from the space. The idea oh, is that. that they are already preparing the terrain to keep us in shock and subordinate position that they will evoke even aliens. No? Yeah. So no, uh, that's what makes me so sad here. Well, really, really quickly. My, yeah. Well, it's not like, yeah, yeah, quickly to one of your, to one of your points. Um, I don't know, Todd, uh, you know, I'm interested what, what Todd has, has experienced by this, but I do know uh, to your question about, you know, how refugee, you know, Ukrainian refugees are viewed here. I mean, it's, it's a complete, and this is pretty obvious, but it's, it's a complete 180 from, you know, um, Middle Eastern refugees, right? I mean, there's, there's compilations now where you can find of actual anchors from like, you know, CBS News, CNN, you know, just saying on air, like um, uh, accompanying the video of, you know, the, the Ukrainians, you know, these are, these are, these aren't, uh, these are middle-class people. These, you know, this is as like, you know, there weren't any, you know, middle-class doctors or anything in Iraq when we decided to get to go into Iraq. So the, you know, the sympathy like level this. is entirely you know, different. You know what one of them said, but, but, these are civilized people. These are yeah. one of them said these are blonde people with blue eyes. Blue eyes, yeah. 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 As yeah. if my God, my yeah. answer is sorry, but didn't uh, uh, blonde people with blue eyes do something not very civilized in Germany? <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah. No, no, it's absolutely. Uh, but I told you already this at the beginning, I think, or before we went on, that uh, almost the lowest degree was here the one of Slovene government, where we Slovenes accepted to accepted only five refugees from Afghanistan, claiming this is a different culture, blah blah. Uh, and even our prime minister wrote a tweet where he said, uh, these are men with whom we collaborated there. Why don't they remain there and fight the Taliban and so on? But Slovenia, shitty country, two million people. When the Ukrainian problem problem exploded, they said we can accept up to two hundred thousand. Wow. So you know what this means? Like one Ukrainian is worth forty thousand. <laughs> I mean, it's such an open open racism that it's incredible. Right, they yeah. really, and my argument against them, you know, in my last text, I quote a lot that nightmarish guy, Putin's philosopher, Alexander Dugin, who said there is a Russian truth, there is European truth. But if we talk like this, yes, to Ukrainian refugees, because they are our European culture, we are talking like Dugin. Right. We are interpreting this war as a war of, as a clash of cultures. If nothing else, what about thousands of uh, people 
who protest, as you already said, in Russia. You know who is one among them? I was in contact with her. Did you meet her of, on some of these things? With, that uh, Russian lady from, uh, I say Leningrad, I don't acknowledge Petersburg, uh, <laughs> Oksana Timofeeva. Oh, you yeah, I know her. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You know what happened to her a week ago? She's no. risking her life. Now she escaped to Germany. Some she managed to keep us arrested, beaten, protesting in Petersburg and so on. But then she got already half a year ago, I don't know, some invitation to a symposium, all scholarship, short, everything paid. And now it was cancelled because she is Russian. Oh, my God. She, she who is a hero there. Are, are we crazy? I mean, are we crazy? But that's a racist response, right? I mean, that's the... Yeah, you know, like, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's the problem. That's the problem that this war will give such a boost to European racism. And it's crucial to prevent this. Because if we do this, even if in the short term we stop Putin, Putin will win. You know who is now my favorite Putin character? Did you read what that metropolitan, how they call it? Okay, the boss of the Russian Orthodox Church, Kirill. You know what he said? He not only praised Putin as the greatest Russian patriot, but I love this in a horrified way. He said that Russian military intervention into Ukraine is the highest act of loving your neighbor. I know. I saw that. You You can always rely on priests to say this. I know. And you know, you know that Francis will not name Putin. He will not name Putin because he's afraid of precisely that guy. He doesn't want to offend him because he's trying to heal this, this, you know, split between orthodoxy and Catholicism. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, he's acting just like pious, it. right? Like it's just like pious who wouldn't yeah. say Hitler's name. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what also happened? It horrified me uh, of how uh, this was also racism. You know, suddenly they discovered when he bombed, I don't know, it was already Kharkov or now that Mariupol or what, that uh, Putin is a war criminal. Sorry. But when Russians, to save Assad regime, bombed Aleppo, the largest city, bigger than uh, Damascus in Syria, the bombing was absolutely more brutal. It was a real total bombing. Ah, we just mildly protested there. (laughs) You know, like we in Europe, in the Western civilization, we will have to confront this problem. Otherwise, we will be losing the battle in, I don't like the name, the third world. You know, Russia is not losing there. Even if the government, like Indonesia, the government is a little bit more pro-Ukraine, but ordinary people are for Russia in some, uh, in some uh, uh, Arab countries in the Middle East, it's the same. Israel, incidentally, is playing the same game, ambiguous. And you know what's the irony that gives you hope? Uh, the one who is the arch counter-revolutionary conservative European, Viktor Orban of Hungary, yeah. he doesn't want to break with Putin. His position is NATO is more guilty, Hungary should stay oh, out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely incredible. 
I mean, you have this split. Yeah. Listen, okay, sorry, let's stop. Guys, I'm lovely yeah, collecting, yeah. but it was so nice, you know. It's now I'm returning to this shit called ordinary reality. Yeah. <laughs>